Happy Labor Day weekend, everyone, as our Cactus Chapel and Venue communities join us now. Thank you for being here on what is normally the time to flee the Valley of the Sun. This is always that time of year where I kind of go, all right, summer has won. I get it. You're better than me. I'm just ready for it to be over. So it's time to kind of start the fall. But uh, we're going to do something for the next month here at Scottsdale Bible Church. We're going to take a month and focus on relationships and most of you have these figured out. This isn't a problem you, for you, so you can check out for the next 30 days because this is easy. Uh, but it's hard. Relationships are hard. And what I'm going to do today is basically just sit down, and my job is to get us thinking relationally and to kind of sit down and, and look at our relationships and evaluate how kind of are we doing. And we've got a passage today that I think will help us do that. And then Jamie's going to come back for the next three weeks and really lay down three practical kind of observations and functions that will help us. And here's the key phrase, to maintain and to cultivate healthy, godly relationships. And so uh, I kind of thought I'd I'd kick our time off and have a little fun. And I was sitting with one of our MIRs recently, and his name is Tanner Hudson. And he was giving me kind of a ministry experience that he had. And and our MIRs are ministers in residence. So it's all these young, talented guys that we're developing and pouring into, and they're just awesome. And so you'll see many of them in our different ministries. But Tanner was telling me, he's kind of new to our program, a story about when he was ministering to junior high students. And he said, Rustin, it blew my mind. And he started talking about how this junior high boy described to him what it means for a junior high boy to ask a junior high girl out in the year of 2017. It was last year. And I sat there, and as soon as he started talking, I immediately knew, oh gosh, this is just gold. And so I wanted to share that with you today, but I need to give you a reference point, okay? My wife reminded me, I met her 13 years ago, okay? So uh, that was different than what I heard. For, for me, it was very simple. We worked at the same kind of restaurant in Old Town Scottsdale. We, we, we met at the Salty Senorita, which is where we were working. I know, it's an illustrious environment. <clears throat> And so I, I looked over and I saw her across the room. She was hot. It, it did, didn't take a lot for me to be divinely drawn to her. And so I walked over and kind of as my favorite comedian says, you know, I was a cool guy and I kind of looked at her and I said, uh, hey, you want to dance with me? She looked over, she said, yeah, I'll dance with you. And then 12 months later, we were married. Like that was it. It was super easy, it wasn't complex, and so I had our graphics guy, Michael Averos, has helped me out a lot, and he put some things together to help me explain to you what it looks like to be a junior high boy asking a junior high girl out in our day and age. This junior higher looked at Tanner, he said, the first thing that you do is you go to Instagram. This is already different than what I was doing 13 years ago, okay? He said, you go to Instagram, and for those of you who don't know what Instagram is, it is a place where you gather photos of your life that you want people to believe is how you really live, okay? (laughs) So that's Instagram, and the first thing you do as a junior high boy is you follow. Isn't that a great word? That's not creepy at all. You follow this individual. So you follow this girl, and he said, and then you're in a holding pattern. You just wait. And Tanner said, well, what do you wait for? He said, well, you wait for her to do this, another very relational word, to confirm you as her friend, okay? 
So once she confirms you, he said, well, what's the next thing that happens? He said, well, it's, it's really easy. You go onto her page, and her page is probably going to look like this. This particular individual has been skiing in the Alps, uh, modeling kind of ski clothes and finding dirt roads that lead to nowhere. Okay, so this is her life. And so he said, you go on, and you don't like the first photo. And Tanner said, well, why don't you like the first photo? He goes, well, you didn't try hard enough. He said, what do you mean you didn't try hard enough? He goes, well, that could have been on your feed. You could have found that anywhere. He said, what you do is you like this. You like the second and the third photo. He said, oh, okay. And then he goes, but you absolutely do not go any further. And he said, why? What happens if you go to the fourth and beyond? He said, oh, that's creepy, dude. So this is like, oh man, you didn't even try. This is the wheelhouse and you become a serial killer somewhere in here. It's like, okay. So kind of as he's sitting there trying to figure it out, he goes, well, what happens next? He goes, well, then you post a photo. He goes, so, you know, you may take some pictures of your food and you may throw that up there. You may do this. Who's, who knows what this is called? Taking a, a selfie, right? Again, one of my comedians says this. He says it calls it taking a lonely. Okay, you can't find anybody to take a photo with. So you just, hey, all right. So you, you take a lonely, you post that. And then, you know, the next thing that happens is you wait for her to like your photo back. So you, after that happens and she likes your photo, uh, anyone tired, by the way, already? Because this is wearing me out. Uh, when I thought of putting this together as an example, I thought to myself, as Tanner was in the middle of talking, I went, if I'm going to talk about Instagram, I'm probably going to have to translate some of the information for some of the older generations. Uh, it broke my heart to find out that's me now, okay? <laughs> what this junior high boy said to Tanner uh, next, I had no understanding of. He looked at... Tanner and he said, uh, well, what do you do next? He goes, well, you're going to then slide into her DMs. So, what, what did you say? He goes, he's going to slide into her DMs. Here's what that means, Rustin. He's going to slide her a direct message. I went, there's got to be a better way to say that. And so he says, yeah, you shoot her a direct message. And then she responds, okay? So a direct message is kind of a digital how you doing. And then here's what these two are going to do. And, and we know what this looks like. They're going to direct message back and forth. They're probably sitting in the same Starbucks back to back, having a wonderful time together, okay? But this could go on incessantly and for however long it needs to until finally, and I'll speed through these last couple of steps because there's a few more. He invites her to Snapchat. So a second social media site gets introduced. They now exchange videos because that's so much more personal. And then at that point, he eventually asks her, do you want to meet up and hang out? In 30 seconds, what I was able to accomplish with my wife now takes eight steps in two social media sites. I was exhausted when this was over, and here's my point, okay? We got to laugh a little bit, but this is complicated, okay? And whether you are a 13-year-old boy trying to navigate the digital ocean that is our social world at this point, or whether you are a 30, 40, 50, 60, 70-year-old believer, mature in the church, just trying to walk through life daily uh, or trying to navigate conflict, it's complicated, and relationships aren't complicated just because technology has been introduced. Relationships are complicated because we're complicated and we're in relationships. So we kind of have ourselves to blame, but here's what bothers me the most. I don't want the world kind of dictating to us what the best practice of relationship is like. I don't want a cultural narrative to be telling us, well, you gotta do this and you gotta do this. I think as a church, we have better material to work off of than a cultural dialogue. Would you guys agree? Yes. 
And so I want to look at the Bible today and see what the Bible has to say about relationships, what it looks like to be in them, and what we should be working off of as a foundation. And that is my primary goal today, to lay a foundation that then Jamie can come back over the next three weeks and build off of. So with that as an introduction in place, let's pray, and then I'll read our text for the morning. So Lord, we do, we just invite you in right now as we go through this passage in Acts 2 to to just join us, to show us places where we might be falling short of your goal and design for relationships, places where maybe the world and culture has kind of found its way in to give us a lesser thing. And Lord, that we would all just kind of hold our relational practices with open hands today that you would kind of help us walk into some new understandings that you would craft for us through your word and a foundation of understanding what great, healthy, godly relationships are built off of. So Lord, we give this time, our hearts, and our relationships to you as we walk into your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, So our passage today is going to be Acts 2, verses 42 through 46. We'll mess around with 41 just a little bit by way of intro, and then we'll kind of go from there. So I'm going to read them aloud. Verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, one of the first things that happens here in verse 42 is we have a word that I want to always trigger something in your brain, okay? It's the word and. Now, A simple grammar lesson reminds us all that and is a connecting word. It connects two things together. So if we just start in verse 42, we might be asking the question, what came before it that the and is connecting what we're reading to? I'm really glad you asked. It's verse 41. And verse 41 says this. It says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, that's important, and and here's why. Now, there's a so, and that's also a connecting word, so we need to back up to understand even what's in that, and I'm not gonna read all of that, because what comes before this verse 41 is the story of Pentecost, okay? Now, Pentecost is a Jewish festival that was going on, and at this point in the biblical narrative, Christ has been crucified, he has been buried, he has been raised from the dead, he has done some ministry, and now he has ascended and is reigning at the right hand of God. So at this point, the disciples are now sitting there going, what do you want to do? And so they kind of roll back into town. They start getting their feet on the ground again. And then Peter kind of has this revelation. I've screwed a lot of stuff up. I think I found something I'm good at. And he starts preaching. Okay? So that sermon is what comes right before verse 41. Peter preaches a sermon that we can only assume was uh, meaningful because it says here that at that point... 3,000 people got baptized, wrecked by the Lord, and straight up saved, okay? Now, for those of you keeping score at home, that's a fairly effective day in ministry, okay? About the only guy in the Bible who's done better than Peter on this one was Jonah. Jonah rolled into Nineveh. He preached about an eight-word sermon that said, y'all should repent, and everyone thought it was a good idea, and 120,000 people went, we're in. We don't want to get set ablaze, so we're going to go ahead and follow the Lord, And he's kind of an overachiever, so we'll skip that for now, and we'll just stick with Pentecost and Peter. This is why this is so important. 
Scholars tell us that the church, prior to Peter's sermon at Pentecost, globally, the entire Christian church was about 120 people. It just hasn't gone very far, guys. So Christ has ascended, and now these 120 people are kind of sitting around going, what, what should we do? Peter preaches a sermon, and the church goes from 120 people on one day to a roughly 3,100 the next. That is a 25-fold increase in the number of Christians on the planet. Just to give you a context for the math, let's say that today's sermon goes really well. <laughs> Scottsdale Bible on a typical weekend is about 7,000 people. Okay, that's total attendance kind of all in. If, if we had the same math play out for us and we had a 25-fold increase, Scottsdale Bible Church would wake up tomorrow morning and be a church of 175,000 people. That's what this group had to deal with from a ratio shift. So all of a sudden, get this, now 3,100 people have to figure out how to do life together, how to kind of be in relationship together. And that's why this passage is so important, because there's been a big shift, a lot has changed. We'll talk about the diversity of this group a little bit as we go, and now they gotta figure it out. And what the Bible does here in this section with Luke, our author, kind of walking us through it is say, listen, this is how they did it. And they found some, some wonderful things that they had together. And so verse 42, we're going to start today, comes out of that. And it says, and 3,000 souls got added that day. And verse 42, so what they do? And they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There's two things I want to key on because the other two are kind of reiterations of them. But it says here that they devoted themselves to two things. Now, devoted is an interesting word. It doesn't say they thought casually about. It doesn't say that they considered kind of to be a good suggestion. There was devotion. There was a commitment. And the two things were the apostles' teaching, which, by the way, the apostles' teaching became our holy scriptures. Okay? Do you understand that? So that's God's word. And then the other thing was the fellowship. What I want to submit to you today is that every key phrases, healthy, godly relationship is built on these two things. This is the foundation, and I want you to look at it today. It's actually at the top of your notes. The foundation is God's word and fellowship. These two things are critical for every relationship to be built on. We should have these things in common. And so I want to stress both of them for just a second. God's word. When it comes to God's word, reading daily in the scriptures is becoming a little bit of a lost art. I find myself needing to stress this to more and more believers as time goes on. And every once in a while I bump into somebody and they'll say, you know, you know what, I'm in the word daily. I read every day. And guys, it just warms my heart because the next question that I have for them is, where are you reading right now? What are you in? And they'll start telling me, well, I'm in, I'm in 2 Kings right now, and I'm walking through some of the stories of some of Israel's great leaders, or, or, or I'm in uh, Hebrews, and I, I'm in Galatians, I'm in, and they start talking about it. Here's what I want to submit to you, kind of a question. It might trouble you sometimes. Uh, when was the last time that you either said to a friend or had a friend say to you, uh, you know what, I was reading in the scriptures this morning. And, and I, as I was reading the word, I was reminded of this. I had forgotten that. And it encouraged me. You see, God's word's a living word. You'll never be done reading it. You'll never be done taking it in because it's consistently meeting you, unlike any other book in the world, because it's being divinely illuminated by the Holy Spirit, who if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have on board. 
He's taking your life and he's connecting it to the Bible in a way that no other book will ever meet you. And you're being reminded of, oh, you know what? God promised to either do that for me or do that with me. The things that God's gonna do for you, they're all promises from God. The things that God's going to do for you are things that you cannot do on your own. He will have to do them for you and you will have to wait on him. The things that he'll do with you are things that he says, I actually haven't equipped you or I have equipped you to do that thing. I just wanna do it with you because it's good for our relationship to do this part together. It's the Bible that fills us with God's promises. It's the Bible that's our daily bread. And my recommendation is make sure you're getting your daily bread and that you're sharing it within relationship. There's a great quote here. Uh, it's by a guy named Augustine. Augustine was kind of a, uh, what we would call an early church father. He was alive in kind of the fifth and sixth century there. And as he was living, a lot of things that he thought and wrote, we still practice today. But he's got a great quote on the effect that the scriptures should be having on this, on us, and it's this. Whoever, therefore, thinks that he understands the divine scriptures or any part of them so that it does not build up the double love of God and of our neighbor does not understand it at all. Amen. Now, that's beautiful old language, so let me translate simply. If you are reading the scriptures... And they are not having the effect of building up for you the love of God and the love of neighbor. You ain't reading it right. I have people all the time. Yeah, three, thank you for three of you who thought that was awesome. I have people all the time who can recite Bible passages back and forth at me. But it is apparent based on the way that they are living that they are... At the hardest, it's hard for me to see their love for God because it's also hard for me to see how they're loving the world around them. It's not having an impact on their life. It's not penetrating the sur surface. It is knowledge. It is not working to help them know or be known better. And that really leads us to our second point of the foundation of every healthy relationship, which is this. It's fellowship. Now, I worked this week to craft a definition that I, I think is helpful for us. I thought about every word, and it's pretty concise. But fellowship, I want to define this way for our purposes authentic interactions that are rooted in Christ. Authentic interactions that are rooted in Christ. Anytime the Bible gives us something as a practice, now remember, the early church did something. What did they do? They devoted themselves to what? God's word and fellowship. We should have a good definition for fellowship. Here's what drives me crazy sometimes. I hear guys say this, well, I went out and grabbed some beers with some guys from work the other night and one of them was a Christian. It was a really good time of fellowship. Okay. I went out with the gals the other day. We had coffee. And in the time we were having coffee, you know, again, one of them was a believer and so it was a good time of fellowship. Here's what I want to just be careful with. Just because Christians are gathered, it doesn't mean you had fellowship. And here's why. We talk about things all the time, weather, sports, our jobs, even the Bible. And we can use some of these things to give people the Heisman, to kind of keep them at bay. I, I don't really want to let you in. And so let's, uh, hey, hey, so boy, sure has been hot lately. So what do you think about the Diamondbacks? Uh, even this. Um, you know what? I was, uh, what, what about David? Boy, he sure was a great leader, wasn't he? And we start talking about the Bible. What about Daniel? Tell me about Peter. Tell me about Paul. And I, guys, I could sit on the stage all day long and tell you Bible stories, and you would know more about the Bible, but you wouldn't know anything more about me. You see, fellowship starts when authenticity begins. 
You see, if I just tell you Bible stories, that's one thing. But when I look at you and I go, you know, David, David was a great leader. But David carried a wound in his life from early on. He had a wound from his father, and it created an insecurity in him. He was constantly trying to strive to continue to achieve. And, and David made a lot of decisions in his leadership in his life that came out of insecurity, fear, and woundedness. I sometimes find myself prone to those things, and God's working them out. Do you ever find that in your life? Now the Bible just gave you a pathway to know me better. You see, authenticity began because I let down my walls. And you can now see into my life a little better. And once that has happened, once authenticity has been given on both sides of the ball, now I could be sitting here talking about the Diamondbacks. I could be going, did you watch that game the other night? Yeah, bottom of the eighth inning, the pitching change that they made. What an idiot. And someone may go, gosh, bro, you're a little hot about the bullpen of the Diamondbacks. You doing okay? Why? Because they know me. You see, I've let them in and they, they've seen my heart and they know what its best functions are. So when I'm not functioning at best, they all of a sudden go, um, something's off. Are you doing okay? And then something new happens. Uh, we start to see restoration because the foundation was an authentic relationship and we're both rooted in Christ. Fellowship begins when we get real. It's when we let people in close enough to see us for who we really are. Ugly spots and all. I want to jump through these three next verses because they're kind of things that Luke, our author, is honing in on to say, and these are some things that were happening. And the first one is verse 43. It says this, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Something happened. There was a shared experience in the early church. It was this. They shared the experience of being in awe of what God was doing. Now, what I want to do today is I don't want to focus specifically on what God was doing, but what the church was doing. See, the church was in awe of the work of God's hand, okay? So I want to kind of paint both sides of this discussion real quick, because some of you are already kind of squirming in your seat going, what's he going to do with the wonders and the signs thing? I'm going to do this. God worked in miraculous ways. I believe at the bottom of my heart, he still works in miraculous ways. I think God still does things that are way outside of our understanding because we lead a natural life with a spirit inside us, but we serve and are created by a supernatural God. And I think there are plenty of times where he moves supernaturally. And I'll, be, I'll invite you to be the first one to stand up and tell him to stop. <laughs> Help yourself. I've got a great example of this, and we all hear these stories and they stretch us sometimes, and this is it. We need a challenge in this area every once in a while, because if we don't get challenged to believe in God's supernatural ability to move, we become far too naturalistic in our worldview. And that's just to mean that if I can see it and I can prove it, then I believe it. It's easy to function that way, particularly in our country. It's just, we're, we're ahead, we've got all this technology and things, we've figured so many things out, and it's easy to get really naturalistic. I had some friends and they were on a missions trip years ago. They went to Cambodia, it's a third world country. They're sitting there in absolutely some of the worst parts of, of the country and they're trying to figure out kind of, hey, what are these little villages and how can we get back there? And one area they were in in particular was extremely heavy uh, with witchcraft. There was a local witch doctor and when people got sick, that's who they went to see. There's no hospital in the area. And what would happen is people would go and over time, the witch doctor would put a bracelet on their hands. And that bracelet signified that they, for lack of a better term, kind of belonged to him as part of his group that he cared for. 
As he would put these bracelets on people, over time, there was kind of this trend of they would get sicker and sicker. And one of the people who my friends were dealing with had gone blind shortly after putting the bracelet on. And so they came into his house that day, and a group of them were praying for him. What they did was they just asked him as they were praying for him, they said, would you be willing to take your bracelet off and kind of renounce the local witch doctor? Would you be willing to follow Christ with your life? The man said, yes, he would. He accepted Christ, and then as he started to walk through some prayer with them, they they asked if they could pray over his sight. So they put their hands over his eyes, and for an extended period of time, the group prayed. The man had an incredible experience during that time. He said he started to, as the translator was communicating, he could see a figure, and the figure was in white, robes, coming through the door. They pulled their hands off of his eyes, and as they removed their hands, the man who had been blind for seven years, had not seen his children during that time, looked in the doorway, and they saw his kids for the first time in seven years. The Lord miraculously restored this man's sight. Not my friends, the Lord. They just faithfully prayed that God would move. We serve a big God. The only reason I tell this story is I I don't want us to focus on we should be pursuing signs and wonders. That's not the point of today. The point is that we should be willing to make sure that we know God does things that God wants to do when he wants to do them. Let's just leave that there. But at the same time, the, the point of verse 43 is super simple. It's that we should have a shared experience of being in awe of the work of God's hands. And whether that's a miracle or the other side of this ball, which is not miraculous but is still divinely inspired, We do my stories all the time. Do you know what I'm in awe of? I'm in awe when a couple sits down in my office. And this is the story I hear a lot. They'll they'll sit down and they'll say, hey, Rustin, um, I can't stand her. She's the worst. Okay? And she'll go, oh, yeah, no, I have the same opinion. He's the worst. We're just about ready to sign papers and be done with this thing. But we hadn't seen a pastor yet, so we thought we'd come and talk to you. (laughs) Thanks for thinking of me. And I'll sit there and I'll listen to them just berate each other and talk about all the things. And here's the deal. In just about every marriage, both people are right and both people are wrong. Everybody has an experience of just kind of going, yeah, no, this this was awful. And the other person goes, yeah, and this was awful. And they both have kind of got a side to the story. Every once in a while, here's what happens. Because people show up and they go, you know, Rustin, you kind of made a mess of your life. We thought you could give us advice. Again, thanks for thinking of me. And I'll just tell them, like, listen, guys, we got our shop wrecked in 2009. We, we kind of said, all right, Lord, we're done trying to do this on our own. If you would, would you take over? And we completely surrendered ourselves to the Lord. It has not been easy at all, but slowly but surely, the Lord has put us back together. And I'll just tell that story, and I'll tell people, here's some great resources. If you want to go all in, give it a shot. I recommend that you do. It won't be easy. It will be worth it. And they go off. And every once in a while, I get this experience. Two people come back six months later, and they'll kind of request, hey, can we come back and see you? Uh, yeah, sure, let's give it a shot. And they'll sit down, and I'm like, I don't even recognize you two. They're holding hands. She's sitting there kind of beaming at him. He's over there just, oh, yeah, she's, she's awesome, he's awesome. And I'm like, what, time out, what happened? You know what happened? God intervened. They are transformed because they've had their minds renewed by the Lord. The Lord did something that these two individuals were not capable of. And my point here today is that this is why we share testimonies. This is why we do my stories. This is why we talk to each other about the tough things in our lives. Because part of the Christian experience should be sharing in the awe of what God's hand is doing in our midst. And the early church had that in common. And I want to submit to you today, it is something we should all be looking for. 
to tell God's stories and to be inspired by the work of his hand. Verse 44 goes on from there and it says, and all who believed were together and had, and this is a key phrase, all things in common, all things. Every once in a while the Bible makes a statement and you go, that's probably hyperbolic, we don't need to do that. This is an easy one to do. You just go, they had all things in common. Can you guys say that about your relationships here at the church? Here's where I wanna start us for this one. I have friends, we don't have Jesus in common. Actually, I have a great number of them. I would challenge all of you. You should all have non-Christian friends. Okay, it's good for you and it's great for them. It's good for us to be with people. And and here's the deal. Here's how it works with my non-Christian friends. I love them and I love them well. Here's the distinction. I love them. I have a feeling of love for them and I love them well. An action of looking for places in their life where I can meet needs and where I can be authentic with them. Okay? When we do that, I want you to think about this for a second. We don't have the most important relationship in my life. The most important relationship in my life is not horizontal, it is vertical. Okay? It's the me and Jesus relationship. I don't have that in common with this individual. And yet, even though we vote different, we have different belief systems, we have different views on parenting, different views on uh, community, different views on discipline, different views on a myriad of social issues and value and purpose, we fight like crazy to find common ground. We fight for the things that we have in common. We begin with our similarities and we love well from there and we sort our differences out as we go. Here's my challenge. If I can do that with someone who does not have Jesus in common with me, how much more should I be able to do that with anybody in this room, at Cactus, at Chapel, or in the venue? You see, I should be able, if someone and me can sit down and we can answer these questions together in agreement, do you agree that Jesus is the Son of God? I do, okay? Do you agree that he died on the cross, rose from the grave, and will return again? I do. Okay, do you believe that God's word is the foundation for our lives? I do. What are we about to start arguing about? This is critical for us. So many times we look at this passage and we say, you don't have all things in common, there's just no way we can do that. And you go, guys, when we have these things in common, everything else should take a second place. You notice I didn't sit down and say, now, once you've decided that he is going to come back again, that he'll return, you guys need to agree on how he's going to do that. No, we don't. He's coming back. Someday we'll sit back and he'll prove to us how he did that. I don't want to argue about that. I want to start from our similarities and I want to work things out. Remember the group? Here's our point from the passage. The group that did this, what the scriptures tell us is that the group that got saved that day had a Jewish religious belief system, okay? They believed in, this, in all of the principles of Judaism. And now they are moving their religious belief to Christianity. Think about the background that comes with that. And now 120 people, now with 3,000, along with the fact that the Holy Spirit was moving in crazy ways at Pentecost, he was moving language back and forth so that they could understand everything that was going on. So they didn't have language in common. There's different races. There's different religious beliefs as of yesterday. And we're sitting back and this group found a way to have all things in common. And you're telling me that a bunch of us sitting in this room in the rooms of Scottsdale Bible Church can't start with our similarities and move to our differences slowly but surely? Guys, I think we quit too early. I think we just stop. We just go, you know what? We, we see eye to eye on political views. They're, they're different. We don't have that in common. Why don't you go over there and I'll hang over here? Stop it. 
fight for your relationships that are healthy and godly. Now, there's a whole nother sermon that I don't have time to preach on boundaries. You guys are just gonna have to go read the book, okay? Boundaries are important. But today, I am pushing for healthy, godly relationships to be fought for and to be con- continued to, to move towards common ground. There's another thing that Luke keys in on in verse 45. He says this, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, in this context, it had a monetary material frame. But the, the, the real functionality here is this, it's sacrifice. They sacrificed for each other. They took things that they had and they said, what's this worth here? Great, I'll take the value for it. And you, you have a need, let's go. Here's what I want to key in on. As human beings, we are value meters. Everything in our life, we put some sort of valuation on. Uh, This thing over here, that probably costs a little too much for me. This thing, probably not enough. I'd like to get in this region here. I don't like that brand. I like this brand. That's the car I want to drive. And, And here's the thing. We don't stop there with things. We do it with relationships too. I want everybody in all of our rooms and in this room as well, I want you to think about the three most important relationships in your life. Just take a second. Now that you have them in your head, I will bet that they cost you something. And I'll bet that they cost somebody else something for you to be in that relationship. Do you know how I know that? Because you wouldn't care about it unless it did. Great things cost. That's how they have value. They value, they have value because they cost something. It's the midnight phone calls, right? It's the tears that were spilt over long seasons of disrupted marriage. It's all the broken places where you two have fought to find common ground. You ever heard somebody say this before? I got too much invested to walk away. What if your relationships that were healthy and godly had that phrase attached to it? I got too much invested. I'm gonna fight to find common ground with you. I'm devoted to this. You see, sacrifice is kind of one of the key markers of every great relationship. We had an example uh, from our lives. It was years ago, it was about nine years ago, it was when things were really tough for my wife and I. And we went up to a, a conference that was really great. It was up in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, they were doing some great teaching and, and they would pray for us. And so as we spent time up there, it was really sweet. We got done with one of these times where they're kind of praying for us and doing some teaching. And, and the woman who had prayed for us uh, got up and we were getting ready to walk away. We said, gosh, well, thanks so much. We don't even know how to say thank you. And as we started to walk away, she looked at us and she said, hey, do you guys want to come to dinner at my house? We were like, well, gosh, I mean, it sounds a lot better than what we were going to do. We were going to find a jack-in-the-box, you know? And she goes, uh, yeah, you know, my husband will be there. I'll have him pick up a little more food, and you, know, you can meet our kids, and we could just sit and kind of continue to talk. Yeah. We showed up at their house, sat there for like four hours, just hanging out. We got to hear from her husband and like, gosh, you know, how do you guys work together in ministry? And gosh, she, she seems amazing and you seem amazing. And these sweet kids are just the best. Here's the deal, guys. Uh, Jared and Casey Mock are still some of our best friends. When things get really tough in our life, we call them, we ask them to pray for us. When they come down, they stay with our house. They've, they've met our kids. It, it, it's something happened that day because they sacrificed their time. It, for us, we were kind of at this conference. We were away. It was like we were just there to do that. For them, it was a Tuesday, and they had work the next day. But they poured a little water in the soup, and, and we kind of all hung out. We had time together. It, it, we didn't have anything to offer that night. I, I mean, I'm sitting here preaching to you guys today. You're all attentively listening. Thank you for that. But, guys, I didn't have anything. 
I was 31 days sober and my marriage was on fire right next to me in a dumpster. Rustin and Jamie sat there and just took that night because we didn't have anything to offer the mocks. But as time has gone on, the Lord has matured us. The Lord has continued to mature them. And because they made a sacrifice, we now have a really rich relationship that we've had the opportunity to sacrifice and pour back into. But every great relationship starts with somebody going, I want to lay something down so that we can have something great. And my encouragement is look for places where you can sacrifice in all of your relationships because it will give them value. Verse 46 is a beautiful place for us to, to wrap up today. It says this, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, uh, there's a little thing uh, that they taught us in seminary that I want to pass on today. When the Bible was written, it was written in Greek, uh, at least the New Testament was. And when it was written, it wasn't with chapters or verses. There were no breaks. Okay, It was just a big block of Greek words. And they all strung together. If you see one ever, it is the most overwhelming thing you'll ever see. Okay? And what authors, great, brilliant authors like Luke, our author today, who is a brilliant man, would do is they would use these little thematic bookends to kind of wrap up topics within this giant block of text. And those were called inclusio. So we got one today, and I want to clue you in so you can see these things, so you can read the Bible for everything it has. We started the day with the foundation, and because you guys are great at this and you're attentive listeners, the foundation is God's word and fellowship. Okay, good. It's great. Nailed it. All right. Here's what we have. We're all the way to verse 46, and it says now, attending the temple together. What are they teaching at the temple? God's word, right? And what are they doing? And they're breaking bread in their homes. Fellowship. You see these two little themes kind of wrap it up. Luke started and said, listen, this is what they were devoted to. And here's what was going on in their midst. And, and by the way, here, let's wrap this thing up. And then verse 47, which we don't have time for today, says, and here's what happened because they did. Verse 46 tells us that this group was together, just in verse 46, in worship, in home, and in generosity. Verse 47 goes on to tell us what happened. And they were together in favor of the Lord, as well as in growth. Here's what I want to clue in on. We are sitting in this room and the rooms of Scottsdale Bible today because 3,100 people about 2,000 years ago committed themselves to something extravagant. This is our family heritage. This is what Christianity began with. 3,100 people who I bet were terrified, scared to death, and had a hope for something far grander than what they were experiencing in the world. The, the Instagram of the day was telling them, you gotta go out and you gotta be this way and you gotta do this, and it's pantheism and it's at worship in all of the places that are kind of culturally acceptable. And these groups went, no, you know what? I think we'll turn our attention to one God and I think we'll turn our attentions to each other. And built on the foundation of the apostles' teaching and fellowship, they started to dwell in God. And the God's word had a wonderful effect. That effect was that they grew in love, not just for him vertically, but for each other horizontally. And because of a great hope of 3,100 people, we now are here today, and Christianity has made a worldwide explosion. Is that hyperbolic? I don't think so. You see, my job this week was to get us thinking relationally. It was to stir you, maybe even to burden you a little bit. And the homework for the week is this. If you would, go away this week, and I want you to think about the relationships that mean the most to you in your life. And I want you to think maybe about some of the relationships that you wish meant more to you in your life. 
Just ask questions. I've given you a lot to think about today. Do those relationships have the foundation that's required? Do they have God's word? Do they have fellowship? And by fellowship, it's authentic, I let you in and you let me in type levels of transparency that's rooted in Christ. This may burden you this week as you spend a little time, but my encouragement is this. If you come back slightly burdened, over the next three weeks, our senior pastor, Jamie Rasmussen, is gonna sit down and he's gonna lay out a relational hack series that's gonna be incredibly practical and give you some ways to maybe rectify and grow in your ability to cultivate and maintain healthy, godly relationships. Verse 46 says that they broke bread in their homes. That's most likely, based on what scholars tell us, an allusion to communion, which is what we're gonna do right now. So as I turn it back over to Rick at Cactus, Ray in the chapel, Kyle, who's in the venue for me today, and Neil in this room, uh, they're gonna set up those times with each of their congregations. But would you bow your heads and pray with me? Uh, Lord, we're sitting back today, probably uh, all of us, myself included, in recognition of little relationships in our lives that may be capable of more. Maybe all of our relationships, based on kind of our past and our understanding uh, of what relationships are, uh, aren't what they could be. Uh, Lord, our our prayer right now and, and for kind of this week is that you would give us eyes to see places where you have more for us. Places where you you are longing to draw us into deeper relationship. Places where you want to see us engage in fellowship more authentically. Maybe even a call to go deeper into your word that we might have more bread to share on a daily basis with each other. These are the foundations, Lord. These are the things that your church did. and, And Christianity has gone absolutely nuts through the entire world because of these principles. And so, God, we love you. We thank you for how clear you speak through your word. And we just ask that you would lead us and guide us over the week to come. We pray this in your name. Amen.